Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. Uh, this is episode 91. We are recording this on Monday, September 7th, 2020, at about 5 o'clock Pacific time. We usually record on Sundays. We are recording on a Monday. Happy Labor Day, everybody, and happy 60th birthday to the one and only Terry Plucknett Sr., the father of Todd and I. Todd, I know you took him out golfing today. Um, first off, who won? Oh, I sucked today. He definitely <laughs> won. But what's funny is that we, we golfed with this guy that was seven years older than Dad to the day, because it was his birthday today, too. That random guy that they put us with on the course. <laughs> That's awesome. That and Dad, is awesome. Dad almost hit a hole in one, but he didn't see it. <laughs> like, he got five <laughs> feet away from a hole in one, and he lost the ball off the club, and, <laughs> and it, it bur worm burnered all the way up the fairway and rolled up about five feet away and he had no and, idea and he where texted the ball me, was <laughs> and he texted me that he missed the birdie putt yeah he did yeah i mean it wasn't that close either <laughs> yeah yeah uh zach how's it going oh you know just 103 degree heat here but uh you know it's supposed to snow in denver like on tuesday so i'm thinking you know just go hit the slopes maybe yeah, yeah, we're supposed to get a windstorm here tonight that uh, potentially is going to knock out power before the first day of school tomorrow. So, you know, what what's better than having a, a day of online school than no power across the greater Portland area? Yeah, there's re not really a whole lot else you can do there with, uh, with no power. That's a conundrum. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's a no-brainer, uh, yeah. really, because you just cancel school. Right, right, yeah. They're saying they might even, like, shut off power to avoid, like, power lines falling and starting forest fires. So, yeah, who knows? What else could happen, right? Yeah. Okay, well, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I was a really big fan of outside school. I don't know why that plan flopped, but I think it would have been fun to, like, go out in the woods, be like Paul Rudd and role models, you know, go camping or something with the kids. And, like, you can't get COVID outside, so why aren't we just having school outside? But, you know, no one listened to me. So you think you think Paul Rudd in Role Models, I think Michael Scott. Oh, yeah, and, that's true. Uh, we could take the kids on a booze cruise. That's great. I was thinking more his survival day in the woods. That, too. Maybe we could get a big inner tube for, like, uh, Ed Helms had. Could just, you know, relax and float there on the river. Go. Todd doesn't know what go. we're talking about because Todd's Run lame and doesn't watch The Office. Run across the coals. Exactly. I know, I know. All right, well, uh, one more thing before we get into this. Uh, this is our last podcast before the first game of the NFL season. Todd, what's your Super Bowl pick? Um, I know I could have, like, prepped you guys for this, but I didn't, so deal with it's it. It's so weird. I mean, I've been avoiding futures bets because nobody really knows what everything looks like. Uh, I'm going to say my pick is going to be... I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say uh, Eagles over Chiefs. 
Zach, what do you got? I'm going with the Las Vegas Raiders and the Washington football team because, you know, life has been pretty interesting in 2020, <laughs> and that would be the most 2020 Super Bowl ever. Alex Smith leading them to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yep. <laughs> On one and a half legs. Uh, I'm going to go... I, I hadn't really thought about this much either, but I knew I wanted to ask the question. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to go a little outside the box here. I'm going to say Chiefs over Vikings. Mm. That's what I'm going with. All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this in February and see uh, and see how we, how we did here. Um, Zach, what are you drinking? So in honor of Labor Day, beautiful holiday in America, I think it's a more exciting day than Independence Day because, you know, Teachers don't work in the summertime, so what's another day off? I'm drinking the uh, Smirnoff Ice Red, White, and Berry. God bless America. There you go. There you go. And all of its unions. Todd, what do you got? I am drinking Wild Turkey 101 Proof Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, and it tastes like candy. Very nice. Mine kind of tastes like Is candy, too. A, uh... It kind of tastes like gummy bears. It doesn't quite taste like that, but you know, nice. What was there? Was there a golf course beverage today, Todd? No, no, there wasn't. Uh, there probably should have been, but uh, as as uh, our father said this morning, he woke up a little fuzzy this morning. So uh. yeah, the birthday <laughs> celebration. He he had a wee too many martinis, I think. Precisely. Um. <laughs> Did you have a group behind right. you throw a ball into your cart? No. Oh, watch out! <laughs> we did. That did not happen. Probably should have because we were going really slow. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. All right. So I, uh, I, I went and got a growler filled today uh, at um, my favorite brewery around the corner, Ridge Walker. Uh, they have a brand new beer that they just came out with uh, this week that I had to try. One of their like mainstays is their Long Strides IPA. This is Long Strides on the Beach, and it is the their regular IPA uh, brewed with mango and passion fruit. So it's got just that little bit of sweetness with the IPA to kind of offset it a little bit. At the same time, you've got this like nice refreshing uh, beer that's an 8.1%. So you got that to it too. So uh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's it's definitely got that balance of the bitter and the sweet to it. So, yeah, yeah. It just announced they're going to be coming out with a with a pumpkin spice hard cider in October. That should be good. That sounds dangerous. I doesn't it? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, what we've been watching before we get into our our featured review, which is going to be a whole lot of fun. <laughs> and our deep dive is going to be a whole lot of fun, too. So, uh, Zach, I'm going to you first. Uh, tell us what you watched this week. So I watched a documentary on Amazon Prime that is called Rewind. And it is not about the uh, love triangle between Eliza, Angelica, and Alexander Hamilton. Like, Rewind? Um, no, yeah. Um, it's not that. But it, Well it, played. It is a... Uh, uh, fascinating documentary made by a director uh, named Sasha Joseph Newlinger, and um, basically this is a autobi autobiographical uh, documentary that is about Sasha's life growing up 
in, I believe it's Pennsylvania in the 90s and 2000s. And um, as he's growing up, you know, he's a pretty happy kid in a middle class Jewish family. Um, but then something dramatically changes in his life, and it's revealed uh, gradually that he is a victim of uh, molestation and abuse. And um, what's even worse about it is that it's members of his own family, not his parents, um, interestingly enough, but members of his more extended family. And so um, he kind of, he actually was able to dig up a bunch of uh, home movies, archival footage, and you can actually see that, you know, not just the physical, but also the kind of behavioral and emotional transformation. It's really kind of shocking to see what abuse can do to a to a child. It's actually really tragic to see him. Um, and uh, But what's also interesting about the movie, too, is that um, his abusers in the movie are also victims of abuse themselves. And so it's this really vicious cycle that this director explores, which is that the psychology of an abuser is um, a lot of times someone who has also been victimized. And so what do you do with that? Um, it's, it's a really kind of complex um, and pretty twisted, uh, perverted, um, you know, uh, thing that happens. Um, there's undeniable parallels in this movie to Capturing the Freedmans, which is also about a Jewish family in on the East Coast in the 1980s that go through uh, sexual abuse allegations. This movie isn't quite as good as Capturing the Freedmans. I actually would have liked a little bit more depth on the on the parents who are victims themselves in the sense that uh, this often goes beneath uh, their, their noses and they don't even realize what's going on. Um, but it's a really fascinating fascinating and, and chilling and, and sad documentary to watch and I think it's a really brave testament uh, that this filmmaker was able to explore the abuse that went on in his own life and also um, talk to people that uh, were around him at an early age. He goes to the, the, his psychologist and some of the uh, district attorneys and lawyers that um, were in the case, the legal case that were involved. It's a three-star movie, uh, not an easy watch at all, but um, a really interesting movie that um, Touches, sheds light on a topic that is not often discussed. It should be discussed more, but uh, a very painful topic, but a really good movie to watch. Yeah, that's my number five of the year so far. That is a great movie, actually, I think. And it's uh, it, it's something that it tells such a personal story and makes it seem so relatable, even though it's hard to really relate at the same time. It, it, it is, it's, I thought that was a really special documentary and one of the best ones of the last few years. Yeah, and you know, I would imagine if you're that director, it must be so hard for him to watch himself like freak out on camera when he was a little kid. Like some of those meltdowns he has, I mean, if I was him, I would just be, I would I would feel a mixture of shame and guilt and just sadness to, to see yourself change in, in all the ways that he does. And I think it's really brave what he does in that movie. Oh yeah, I mean, having to dig up the details of these things that he's blocked out of his mind for so long. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine... <laughs> How, how, how much trauma he went through just making the movie. All right, and you said that's on Prime? It is on Prime, yes. All right. All right, Todd, what did you watch this week? Uh, a couple things I want to report on. One is uh, my Nicholas Cage movie of the week. goes back 10 years ago. is John Turtletop's The Sorcerer's Apprentice, where Nicholas Cage plays Baltazar Blake, who is searching for a powerful protege in uh, the present day uh, to take out the sorceress that stole the body of his lover a thousand years before, uh, and, uh, of course, it's Jay Baruchel, it just screams action star, so he's, he's the guy, he's a, this, like, nerdy science guy, and he slowly learns his powers, and helps save the universe from evil, it's PG movie, so PG Cage is never quite as fun, uh, it's definitely got that National Treasure vibe, same director, uh, but, uh, Cage is playing the ultimate cool here, Jay Baruchel's, like, ten years too old for the movie, it feels a lot more like a 90s movie, 
Fantastic 2000s movie. Uh, and a couple practical effects could have gone a long way, but it is a fun movie, and it reminded me a lot of Onward. I'm giving it two and a half stars. Uh, and, but the other movie I wanted to talk about, probably a little bit more relevant, I got on Saturday down to Olympia, Washington, the closest place to watch Tenet, the Christopher wow. Nolan movie. Uh, the plot really isn't all that important. Uh, it's more <laughs> about the experience. All the actors are interesting, but the dialogue is so muddled that uh, I think like the performances are kind of rendered like irrelevant at, at some point because you can't really hear anything other than the, the score and the sound effects. It, it really bends the mind, and I think I almost got the plot by the time it was over, the two and a half hours in, but I need another hour it seemed like, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but it, it definitely uh, challenges you even more than Inception does to uh, to understand what's going on. It's right in the middle of for Christopher Nolan movies, but what are it's so I have it at three stars. It's right there with Inception and uh, and Dunkirk as like the the smack that middle of his movies. But what I want to say is go to the theaters because we need to support theaters because they are basically operating at a loss. Like they block out two seats on e- either side of you when you buy your tickets. They blocked out basically all the urinals except for the two on the opposite ends of, of the room. Uh, and nobody's buying concessions. They're not making any money. They're providing a service. We need to support the theaters and support Christopher Nolan because he fought like hell to get his movie released on the big screen. And if he if his movie cannot be successful, then I don't think we are ever really going to be able to see No Time to Die. We're not going to be able to see West Side Story or Soul or Top Gun Maverick. Like, uh, Tenet needs to be successful, and uh, it, it is completely safe. I honestly felt safer walking into the theater and, and watching the movie there than I do it going into work every day. Like, it, everything was spotless. Everything was contactless, which the only part that sucked about that is I didn't get a ticket stub because everything had to be digital completely. So, yeah, public service announcement. Go see Tenet. Go to the theaters. I traveled 42 miles each way to go watch this movie, and it wasn't even a great movie, but... It was worth it, and I have no regrets. I, I I would consider if there was even a theater here that was open. Like, nothing is open here. There is the drive-in around the corner. I didn't even know that it was... They, it's not playing at drive-in unless it's playing in your market. So it's not even playing at the right. drive-ins around here. I mean, there's one random... The best theaters in the world, Century, had one theater in Olympia that had it playing. And I'm not even sure that was actually allowed, but, I mean, it like, they're open. <laughs> they're open right now. They're playing, like, five different movies. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm just looking at it here. Uh, this weekend, Tenant made $20 million. So, I mean, it's not the, you know, it, under normal circumstances, you'd think like 100 plus, but I, it's not bad considering, like, New Mutants debuted to, like, four last weekend. So Right, and so, I mean, and it, it was pretty much like maybe 20% capacity total, which would make sense because that would be probably an 80 to $100 million opening. But, like, the people that are going, it's not like they're, like, young, like, reckless assholes or anything like that. It's people like us that have been dying to go to the movies for six months. Like, I could tell. Like, they were th- we were there for the movie. And uh, not for anything else. And Which makes it even more safe. It is completely safe. So, I have a couple questions. Number that just popped in my head as you were talking. So, number one, uh, you why, did you why do you need a ticket stub? Like, you, you seemed oh, upset about I, that. I, I have every ticket... Uh, every ticket stub of every movie I've gone to since 2004. And now that I have one that I don't, and that is Tenet. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Okay, and then the other question I have is, uh, we really use the bathroom? Yeah. Oh, okay. How, what was that like? 
Like I said, like I mean, it, it was. Well, I guess you said it was. I was nowhere near anybody, and like, it's not like in in, uh, in bathrooms nowadays that like, you actually have to touch anything. Everything is contactless. The entire building was contactless. I don't know, man. I mean, I I want to go back to theaters. First of all, I Tenet is playing in every theater here, and a lot of people have seen it. If it was getting dynamite reviews, I would maybe go see it. But like, it's not getting great enough reviews to prompt me to see it. And I'm not. I just I worry about like you know the the yokels that go to the theater and then take off their masks when no one's looking. Like that's what scares me. But I think you're right. I would assume that most people who are going honestly just want to see movies again and abide by the rules. Yeah. Well, but even so, like. Like I said, I mean, th- these are the reserve seats that are basically, like, recliner kind of seats. And there are two in between you and the next person uh, outside your block of tickets. And then behind you, there is a wall. Like, there's a literal wall behind you and the people behind you. So, I mean, there, there's I mean, there, there's no way, even if they weren't wearing a mask, that it would be unsafe anyway. That's impressive. All right. Well, I'm glad one of us got to see Tenet this week. Good job, Todd. Thank you. Yeah, I was proud of myself too. <laughs> Drink to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, you, you compared it to, uh, to Inception, and the more I hear about it, I keep on thinking it's more like Interstellar in the fact that nobody really can understand what's going on, and the because there's the plot is so out there, it loses the effect of it actually being a decent movie. Right. Would you yeah. say that's fair? Uh, yeah, to an extent, yeah. I mean, when, when it started, like, the, the opening scene was going on, and I, I felt like uh, Chandler in the last episode of Friends, where he's like, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm excited. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of that way throughout the movie. Yeah, and you know, Nolan had those same problems in Dunkirk, where, like, you couldn't understand any of the dialogue. Like, what's the deal? What's the deal with his sound uh, recording? Like... Come on, man, get, you know, you're so, you're such a perfectionist about, you know, no CGI, doing it all classical, you can't get better audio. Well, I mean, and it's just, it's like they, they took it down below the sound of Ludwig Gorns and, uh, whatever his name is, uh, his score, which is so loud throughout the, throughout, which I, I, I think that it just means that the dialogue really isn't all that important, it's not like you're gonna understand anyway. He, he's done that, like, the Dark Knight Rises did that too, like, you couldn't understand what the hell Bane was saying most of the time, or most of the other true. characters. That's true. All right, all right. Well, uh, let's move on to what I watched. I had so if you remember last week, I said I didn't get a chance to watch my anniversary movie yet, so I have two anniversary movies to talk about. Uh, the first is the one I mentioned last week. It was nominated in 2010 for best foreign language film from Canada. I always find that funny when a French Canadian makes a film, so it can qualify for foreign film because it's in a different language. Um, and that French Canadian is Denis Villeneuve, and this is Incendies. Um, it is, uh, this fascinating story about a, uh, family. The mother is played by, I'm gonna butcher all these names, the mother's played by Lubna Azabal, and she passes away, and in her will leaves this very strange message to her kids, basically saying, you can't bury me. She's got twin uh, she's got twins, a boy and a girl, and they and she tells him, you can't bury me until you find your father and give him this letter, who they thought was dead, and find your brother and give him this letter, who they didn't know existed. Um, so, uh, they go on this, uh, on this quest, and it's, it's, uh, the, the girl is, her name is Jean, and it's played by Melissa 
Desmero Poulin, and the son is play, is uh, Simone, played by Maxim Gaudet. Yeah, I'm butchering those. Anyways, um, so they go on this quest back to the Middle East where their their family is from, and try to rediscover uh, what their mother's past is because she never really was that forthcoming about it. And they they uncovered that she was like this revolutionary back in her home country, which they never actually reveal what country it was. Um, it's a fascinating movie, um, that has you kind of riveted to the story the entire time as you see flashbacks going back to the mother's story and then going to what the kids are going through and going back and forth. Um, but it's the ending that, uh, that completely makes this movie just outstanding and it just completely flips everything on its head, um, in a way that almost like a Dennis Lehane novel would do. Um, it's just that twist that makes you go, whoa, no, that, that, is that really what's been going on? Um, I loved it. I loved it. Four star movie. It's, it's incredible. Go see Incendies, especially if you're looking at, I mean, Denis Villeneuve has become a big time, uh, director now. I mean, he got his best picture nomination with Arrival. Blade Runner 2049 was well accepted this year. He's got Dune coming out. So he's become this like masterclass director. And uh, this is how he got known was for Incendies 10 years ago. So if you haven't seen it, go see Incendies. It's totally worth it. Um, Todd, I know you've seen it. Zach, have you seen Incendies? I have not. Oh, it's worth checking out. It's worth checking out. Have you seen Paul Todd, Polytechnique? Because that's that was the film he made before it, and I I believe that that's the film that actually got him a little bit more notoriety. But that wasn't nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, I I have not seen that one. Todd, I know you've seen Incendies. What did you think? Yeah, I have it at I have it three stars. Uh, I don't remember it too well, but uh, I I've I've come to respect everything that that uh, Villeneuve has done. I've seen Polytechnic as well. Like yeah, I, I've gone back and watched all his his old movies. But yeah, Incendies. I remember when that was nominated. Like it sounded really interesting. That's why I watched it. But, and then Villeneuve blew up after that. So, yeah. Okay. So the second movie I watched is from 20 years ago. Was nominated for two Oscars in 2000, winning one. Uh, it was nominated for best actor and it won best supporting actress. Ed Harris and Marcia Gay Harden. This movie is Pollock. Uh, the um, the biopic about the painter Jackson Pollock. This is directed by Ed Harris. He is the, the titular character. Um, I was talking to Todd a little bit about this yesterday when I saw him for the birthday party for Dad. This is the definition of a passion project. I mean, th this is a guy who, uh, who was given um, a biography of Jackson Pollock from his father because Ed Harris's father thought he looked like Jackson Pollock. And he fell in love with the painter, he fell in love with his work, and he ended up starring in and making his directorial debut a biopic about this painter and he is amazing in it you can tell like he is totally invested in what's going on marcia gay harden is is really good but it's a strange win for supporting actress i i don't know it just didn't strike me as a performance that you would see win that often um as it's it's just kind of she's she kind of disappears into the role, but there's not really a whole ton that she has. She's got one like crying scene, and that's about it. But um, I couldn't help watching this and thinking that there were a lot of parallels to uh, to A Beautiful Mind the next year, and just it's kind of that early two thousands biopic of a of a tortured genius, and uh, and him kind of going through life as that. Um, 
I, I love this one too. It was a fascinating movie, a fascinating character, um, amazing performances. I'm giving this one four stars as well. So it was a good round of anniversary movies this week for me. That that didn't sound like a four star review, but I like it. <laughs> it, I, it it is it is. I do I like know. Pollock a lot too. Yeah, I mean that 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 is one of Ed Harris's absolute best performances. But yeah, Marsha Gay Harden should not have beaten Kate Hudson. Yeah, or Francis yeah, to, th- to think that either of them. Yeah, yeah, but but I think Ed Harris could have easily beaten Russell Crowe. I mean, he was literally painting Jackson Pollock paintings in this. That's why I kept on thinking, like he's. He's legit, like, making his own Jackson Pollock paintings and, you know, doing it justice because he act, he knows what it means. Yeah. Zach, you, you like this one? Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it, but um, I was a fan of it. And, yeah, the ba- the backstory, obviously, is, is a major part of the, the making of the film. And I think it's, you know, when you look at the Academy Awards, it's, you know, one of those kind of ridiculous things that Russell Crowe would have beat at Harris, but... Whatever, that's that's the Academy Awards for you. I couldn't believe it only got actor and supporting actress. Like, it was shut out everywhere else. Like, it, it, I thought it had a very fascinating score. Um, it, it could have been, it could have slipped into a lot of other different categories. Didn't have the uh, campaign. Maybe even adapted screenplay. Didn't have the, uh, yeah. the Miramax money behind it. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it wasn't a part of the Weinstein machine. Um, all Thankfully. Right. Well, that's, yeah, that, there are uh, my... Reviews. So let's get into our featured review now. And uh, this was a movie we were all looking forward to and we knew was going to be quite the conversation when we actually got around to it. Uh, And that is I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the latest movie written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming in. We have a real connection. A rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Uh, Todd, tell us all about I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Okay, uh, this is actually based on a book, which is interesting because Kaufman rarely uh, goes outside of his own mind to make his movies, but... Uh, Unless he actually writes himself into the movie. Exactly, yeah. He makes himself <laughs> the main character and his imaginary friend the second main character. That is true. Yeah. Uh, so this movie is, I guess you could say it's about this woman whose name is either Lucy or Lucia or Louisa or Amy. One of those, maybe, uh, is played by Jesse Buckley, who reluctantly uh, decides to ride out to her boyfriend's farmhouse to meet his parents, uh, his her boyfriend's name is Jake, and played by the great Jesse Plemons. Um, however, she is thinking of ending things, and once they get out there, the world starts to, like, crumble, and she feels trapped, and she starts to question everything about her relationship, about herself, and kind of existence in general. It's built as a psychological thriller, but it's really more like, sort of, like an acid trip. Uh, it's nihilistic and existential, and really just kind of bizarre. It's got this, um internal monologue that that is that comes out in a way that only Kaufman can that reminded me a lot of adaptation actually and when it thought started I thought it was almost like a sequel to she dies tomorrow because I mean the title I'm thinking of any things I always thought before watching it was a reference to suicide but it is not or is it I don't know I mean as debatable and also not debatable I don't know 
it still it still is unclear what what the title actually 100% means but Josie Buckley is phenomenal in the movie she is rising up the ranks uh, 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 of indie movies the last couple of years she was great in Wild Rose her but her Irish accent kind of goes in and out throughout the movie and I think that might be by design I'm not really sure but I think her, she's like a young Winona writer she's she's truly great in this movie and as is Jesse Plemons who was the perfect for this type of role because uh, Kaufman's last live-action directorial movie was Synecdoche, New York, starring the older version of Jesse Plemons, which is Philip Seymour Hoffman, and uh, they are becoming more and more like the the more that Plemons grows into being a great actor. Uh, the psychological like depths of the conversations that they have, uh, it, it's kind of hypnotic to watch. I imagine that's the kind of stuff that like Miles and Victoria would have talked about like on, on random dates early in their, before their marriage. Uh, there's a sense of impending dread throughout the movie, and it's not really clear why. It's uh, it, it like goes all in on this like awkwardness of life. Like nobody is really likable. The world's hard to live in, which kind of becomes more clear when you see actually where the movie goes and when it completely flips on itself. And reality really starts to crumble, and it really starts to make less and less sense in, in a way that Mulholland Drive kind of does with like deep inner meanings. But it's also sort of reminiscent to The Shining. In, in some ways, uh, it gives, like, little clues and, like, little references throughout. Like, you get, like, a Pauline Kale impression at, at, at one point, which was interesting. And you get, like, a reenactment of a beautiful mind scene, which is kind of awesome. But to describe the movie, early on in the farmhouse, like, uh, Jesse Buckley's character says the words, Where is my mind? And which is hard to hear those words without thinking of the song by the Pixies and obviously the movie that, it, that uh, immortalized that song. And then you kind of understand where the movie is sort of going or trying to go. Uh, it, it's going to require multiple viewings, and I couldn't stop thinking about the movie. It, I, I can't wait to watch it again because I, I want to be able to see it through the lens of already knowing what's going on. And just let it breathe and see exactly everything that was going through Charlie Kaufman's head. Because it is fascinating, and I, I think it's one of the best movies of the year. And it is a high three and a half star movie. All right, all right. Zach, what do you think of this one? Uh, I pretty much disagree with everything that Todd said. Um, maybe not too surprising. Um, I found this movie laborious, tedious, indulgent, uh, unending. You know, the title's sort of ironic because I'm thinking of ending things could have applied to the fact that this movie goes on and on and on. There, that was my cheap joke. I really wanted to get that in there. But um, in all seriousness, um, you know, I really haven't been a huge fan of Charlie Kaufman um, really since uh, Adaptation, uh, or I guess I could uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I think part of the problem is if you look at the, these this recent cycle of films he's done since Synecdoche, New York, and then you put in Annalisa, um, there's no levity in these movies. They're really depressing, dour, sad, morose, um, very sort of... Uh, I don't know, misanthropic movies. And, you know, maybe that's who Charlie Kaufman is. And, I, and I, certainly I like depressing movies too. I, I have a very negative impression of the world as well. But this movie has, there's no spontaneity to it. There's no, like, sensuality to it. It feels, like Annalisa, it feels unusually boxed in. There's almost no, like, the, the scenes drag on and on because there's, there's, no, there's no different backgrounds or backdrops. There's a scene in a car and then a scene in a house and another scene in a car. And, that, and those scenes just feel so protracted. I think it must be a chore for the cinematographer to try to get. So they're they're trying to you know imbue this movie with some sort of visual style, but it's it's hard. I think this movie gets really desperate in the second half. It uh, it goes to gimmicks. Um, I feel with some bits of animation and then some some more David Lynch esque surreal stuff. 
And look, I'm going to be perfectly upfront. I'm not the desired audience for this. And I will also give Charlie Kaufman credit in the sense that this movie has no, no commercial appeal whatsoever. This movie is clearly not made for any sort of box office. And I respect the balls to do that. That takes audacity and that takes, um, you know, a fierce sense of urgency and and a willingness to, you know, make your vision uh, come to life. Um, and that was that's always been sort of true of Charlie Kaufman's movies. But I miss, I miss the old Charlie Kaufman. I, miss, I even miss, like, the... the human nature charlie kaufman he has a great sense of humor it just doesn't come through in this movie um when it resorts to the trickery of you know jesse buckley doing her pauline kale impersonation or the ripoff of a beautiful mind at the end of it it's just like i you know it feels like they're just elements it feels lazy first of all and second of all it feels like they're just elements that he wants to deliberately throw in it feels like he's like david lynch writing the dvd box cover to mulholland drive telling us that there are clues somewhere in this movie but you have to figure it out and you know what? If you've ever seen that YouTube clip of Lily Tomlin freaking out with uh, uh, who's the uh, 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 the guy who did I Heart Huckabees? Uh, what's what's his name? David o. Russell. David o. Russell. Yeah. If you've ever seen that YouTube clip, that's the way I feel. I feel like Lily Tomlin. Like, man, you are a genius, but you know what? Screw you. Okay. I just don't care about your genius. You're the genius. Ooh, I can't figure out. You know these these cryptic references to David Foster Wallace, and you're throwing in all this stuff here. It's just, you know what? I respect I respect the vision of it. I respect the audacity to to not make a movie that conforms to audience expectations but for me this movie was sort of a waste of time waste of talent jesse buckley is a great actress but i feel like she's basically every single charlie kaufman female protagonist wrapped in one i mean she looks a lot like like um a mixture of Cameron Diaz in Being John Malkovich and Kate Winslet in Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind. And yet the movie, and what I also hated about this movie is that she's a fascinating character and I wanted to learn more about her, but then I feel like about midway through, Charlie Kaufman decides that the movie's much more about the Jesse Plemons character, who's basically, I feel like, just a surrogate for Charlie Kaufman, as we've seen in some of his other movies too. So I feel this movie's pretty indulgent. I can understand um, audi- an audience that, that likes these kind of movies. I know this is definitely up Todd's alley and all all. Re- all respect to Todd. I, I I just don't understand this movie, and it's not really... There's, you can only have so many last year at Marion Bads or Mulholland Drives that really make an impact on you before they get uh, derivative, I think. So, uh, this movie is two stars with a big asterisk that I'm not, not the right audience for this movie. Alright. Alright. Uh, I'm... Guess what? I'm somewhere in between. I agree with Todd that I really need to watch this movie again. Because I really am not sure what I was watching the first time around. Um, I This is Charlie Kaufman's third theatrical movie that he's directed. Synecdoche, New York, Anomalisa, and now this. And I remember watching Synecdoche, New York and saying, Charlie Kaufman is only going to direct the movies that uh, nobody else in their right mind would be willing to touch because they're so far out of the box. And that's kind of what I feel about this one, too. Um, at the same time, I know there's, I know there's quality there, and I know there's something there, I just need to, I, I just need to watch it an- another couple times to, to really get it. Um, I'm giving it a very hesitant three stars, knowing that I could fluctuate anywhere between, like, two stars and three and a half stars, depending on re-watching it. So, I'm going somewhere in the middle, and I'm, with the caveat that I need to rewatch it, I think... Some of the scenes went on way too long and and were way too indulgent. At the same time, the, there was a lot of stuff in there that was really fun. Um, uh, yeah, I think the biggest what-the-hell moment is is the beautiful mind reenactment at the end. I, I couldn't... 
Who I mean, that? you have Jesse Plemons doing an impression of Russell Crowe doing an impression of John Nash, and and while while you have um, uh, Tony Collette sitting in a rocker next to him on a <laughs> on a farmhouse porch, I, the, it was the most surreal moment of any movie I have seen in a long time. Um, but at the same time, I kind of love that moment too, and so and so I I'm. I'm torn. I'm like, I really honestly don't know what to think about this movie, and so I'm giving it, I'm giving it three, saying I'm, I'm assuming there's some quality there that I'm gonna get when I rewatch it. Which is kind of what I felt about Synecdoche, New York, as well. Yeah, Synecdoche, New York, is definitely its closest neighbor in the, uh, in the Kaufman uh, universe. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I I don't I don't entirely disagree with what you guys said. I mean, and that's that's uh that's part of the the beauty of these kinds of movies is that if you are willing to get lost in the mind trip of it, then you're gonna love it. If you think that is stupid, then you're gonna hate it. And but at the same time, it doesn't improve or doesn't change the the actual like the quality of of what's going on on screen. I feel like. Yeah, I like how we all we, we all three of us kind of said the same thing and yet gave it three completely different ratings. Like Zach said, it's not everyone's cup of tea, and we all basically are like, yeah, we all saw the same movie. We just think differently about that type of movie. Exactly, um, and we said yeah. the same thing about She Dies Tomorrow. Yeah. It's true, it's true. Well, and you know, I also feel like, I mean, really, uh, I feel like I'm being a little unfair to the movie because... I would have liked to have seen this movie in a theater. I had too many distractions going on because the scenes did drag on for me. And I actually had to watch this movie in three sittings. I couldn't get through it in one sitting. I have to tell the truth about that. Um, so I think being in a theater with the lights down, with no distractions, may have made it a bit more of a compelling experience. Um, but you know what? We see the movies that we see. And uh, for me, this wasn't compelling. And you know, I think Charlie Kaufman's a cool dude, and there's a lot of ideas in this movie, but I only care so much, and um, I think less is more. This movie should have been probably an hour shorter, and I would have found some of the enjoyment that you guys were talking about. I don't know about an hour, but it definitely did not need to be over two hours long. I agree with that. All right, so that's I'm thinking of ending things. Again, we're all basically saying okay, the same so thing. Okay, so i got to ask one. And if what? Sorry, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this beautiful mind thing. Okay, so does anyone know that that's from A Beautiful Mind? Because we love A Beautiful Mind. We we did a deep dive on it, but I don't think the average viewer is gonna like. That's the you know I feel like the average viewer is gonna watch that scene and just think it's a nice it's a nice speech, right? Like, and I looked on the IMDb page. It doesn't it doesn't say connected to A Beautiful Mind at all. So like I feel like we're just the one percent of people that are gonna know it's lifted from that movie, which makes me think that Charlie Kaufman is a ripoff artist. Well, it is cited but, but, in the credits. Oh, is as it? You, okay, well, I saw that. As you stated, yeah. Zach, th this movie is not for the average audience. <laughs> like that's true. They're never going to watch this movie. <laughs> Although it would be fun to to punk some people with this movie, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> what would be more fun to punk someone with? This or she dies tomorrow? Or maybe Holy Motors. I feel like we got punked with that. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, it's definitely not thrice approved. I none of us really know what the movie is, but uh, some of us love that about it, and some of us hate it about it. So, uh, if any of what we just said sounds interesting, I'm thinking of any things is on Netflix. It's easy to find. So, uh, 
go check this one out. Um, I will say when I when I was telling my wife, it's it's Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons, and she said, and I said, do you know who Jesse Plemons is? And I she goes, I think so. I said he's the one that's the love child of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Matt Damon. She went, oh yeah yeah yeah, I know who exactly who you're talking about. So, I mean that that's really who he is. So, indeed, yeah. All right, let's get it. Let's get into our our deep dive here, our geek dive of uh, a movie that is 20 years old this year. This is one of Zach's all-time favorites. We are talking about the Christopher Guest classic, Best in Show today. You want your busy bee? Come get your busy bee. God, Hamilton, if she doesn't get her door, she's gonna flip out! It's not in here. You left it at the hotel. Go to the hotel and get busy bee! That's my favorite, the miniature schnauzer. You'd think they'd want to breed them bigger, wouldn't you? Like grapefruits or watermelons. Don't look at the fat head losers or freaks. You look at me! This is going to be a whole lot of fun. We're starting with our trivia game. Todd is hosting today. So, Todd, tell us what we're doing here. Uh, so, we are doing our normal uh, journey to the middle <laughs> trivia thing. So, uh, I'm starting with Terry because I know Zach knows this movie a lot more than Terry does. Yes, he does. All right. <laughs> so, All right. All right, Terry, we have nine questions for 19 points. Okay. Uh, and this should be interesting. Okay. So, which group uh, that it follows travels the least amount of distance and the most amount of distance to get to the dog show? Oh. Um. The, uh, I'm going to say. I'm going to say the most amount of distance is the, uh, is the Parker Posey group. Okay. And the and the least amount of distance, oh, is uh is uh, um the Jennifer Coolidge group. Okay, that is, that part is correct. Uh, the least amount of distance, yeah. Leslie, Sherry Ann, and Christy were already in Philadelphia, and the most amount of distance, Jerry and Cookie were in Florida, and that is the furthest one away. Oh, see, I went I went with the Parker Posey group because they actually had to take a flight. Yeah, so I figured they were, they were in like West Coast. Chicago, I believe. Or, like, a suburb of Chicago. Oh, that's weak. They should have just driven. I know. <laughs> but that that wouldn't fit their characters at all. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What was Jerry's nickname growing up? Oh, I... Casanova, but that's not right. It was Loopy, because he... Loopy! Oh, because he had the two left feet and you... Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was the sex position that traumatized Beatrice? <laughs> oh, it was out of the Kama Sutra. Um, oh, I don't remember the... Is it bad that I don't remember the name, but I remember the description? <laughs> well, if you have the description, I can give you a half a point, maybe. It, it, was, it was like... Girl bent in half, guy behind, something like that. All right, I'll give you half a point. It was Congress of the Cow, and yeah, it was. That was what it was called. Yeah, the woman <laughs> on all fours, the the man behind, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, according to Sherry Ann, what do Sherry Ann and her husband Leslie have in common? What, I knew this was going to be a question. Five things. Okay, they both like soup. That's true. Um, snap peas. Snow peas. Or sugar peas. Yeah, snow peas. Okay. Um, 
Oh, and there's one in there I don't remember, but then they 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 like uh they like talking and not talking. Yeah, those are both correct. Um, I don't remember the fifth. Uh, the outdoors. Ah, that was it. Okay, well, I knew that was gonna be a question. <laughs> what do Jerry and Cookie plan on doing in Philadelphia other than go to the dog show? I don't know. Uh, they plan on seeing the Liberty Bell and seeing where they make the cream cheese. That's right, gosh. Okay, uh, what two cities was the movie shot in? That's not really something I expect you to know off the top of your head. I'm going to go with Philly, but that's probably wrong. That is Um, correct, that is wrong. uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, And um, Miami. It was Los Angeles and Vancouver, B.C. Which yeah. I thought was interesting. Nowhere near any of the places that they mentioned in the movie. Yeah, yeah. What did the rock group do in the Taft Hotel that was so hard to clean up? Oh, uh... D- uh defecate everywhere. Just well, poop everywhere, right? Well, sort of. I mean, he, he, they roasted a goat in the room. Oh, they, that was a roast... Roasted a goat, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they said that, yeah well, he does say that they didn't... They don't, uh... They didn't use a... Uh, they didn't know they that didn't there was a bathroom the... in in the actual room or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. But, he, but yeah, the roasting the goat was the one that. I mean, I don't know. I guess I'd give you a half point for that. <laughs> give me half a point for that. Come on. I guess I can make that two point question. Maybe I I I it's too late now. Okay. Uh, which four actors in the movie have appeared in our past deep dives? All right. Inside information. Todd gave me a heads up that this was going to be a question yesterday, and I don't know if I got any further on this. So. <laughs> I, I've got Catherine O'Hara was in Home Alone. That's correct. Um, Jane Lynch was in Forty Year Old Virgin. That is correct. Now after that, um, I'm gonna go with Larry Miller. That is not correct. Gosh. Okay. I thought I thought he might have been in like Clueless or something. And and I couldn't remember. We haven't deep dived Dazed and Confused, have we? No. Because I was thinking it might have been uh, it might have been Parker Posey. No. Is it Jennifer Coolidge's husband? Like the old man. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, he's he's a he's the hobo in Pee Wee. Yeah. <laughs> ah! <laughs> but I don't know. You had already gotten one wrong. I'm not giving you that point. Yeah. Patrick Crane. Give me half. Crenshaw. Give me half. You're gonna win if half. I keep giving you half points. Uh, yeah, he's the hobo of Pee-wee, and Don S. Davis is, uh, Racine's coach in, uh, who, he's, like, the, the main oh, judge. Oh, gosh. The so I'm watching this movie, and I see him, and I'm like, where do, what do I know him from? What do I know him from? Yeah, he's the doctor in Look Who's Talking, and he is Racine's manager. Yeah, yeah, and Racine's manager. And the last question is, what is Meg and Hamilton's new dog name, Dune Dog's name at the end of the movie? Like Maxine? It was Kipper. Kipper. Okay. So you have eight or eight and a half points. I know it started with an S, though. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm saying eight and a half. Okay. All right. Zach, uh, we have nine questions for 19 points. Uh, Terry got somewhere between like seven and eight and a half. Uh, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm gonna say he got eight. <laughs> so, uh. But... 7.75. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> okay, so which of the groups that they follow traveled the least amount of distance and the most amount of distance to get to the dog show? Okay, I would guess that the most distance was uh, J- Gary, Jerry and Cookie because they go to Akron. And is that right? Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, well, they were the furthest distance away anyway. They were they were in Florida. And the closest would have been Sher- Sherry Lynn and, uh, yeah, Christy. Because yeah, they're in, they they're in Philly. Philly. Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Uh, what was Jerry's nickname growing up? Uh, Loopy. That's correct. See, he's going to ace this thing, Todd. You didn't have to worry about giving me too many half points. <laughs> what was the sex position that traumatized Beatrice? <sighs> Congressional cow, something like that. <laughs> Congress of the cow. I'm going to give you that. <laughs> Close enough. Although, y- yours sounds better. <laughs> Congressional cow. <laughs> Uh, what five things do Sherry Ann and Leslie have in common, according to her? Oh, that, that's a great speech. Um, they can they can talk. They don't have to talk. They like soup. Um, Those are all correct. Um, I don't know about the other two. TV. That's that's not. That is not. I don't, I don't know the other two. Uh, the, I got more than he did on this one. They like the outdoors and they like snow peas. That sounds about right. <laughs> what do Jerry and Cookie plan on doing in Philadelphia other than the dog show? Uh, to go see where the cream cheese is made. <laughs> that's one. <laughs> oh, there's two, a, two, two, uh, two see the Liberty Bell? Is that another one? Yeah, that's okay. correct. Uh, what two cities was the movie shot in? Oh, uh, I don't, I don't know if I know this. Um... Los Angeles? Was that one of them? That, that's one. Okay, and then um, Vancouver? <laughs> that, that's correct. Are you freaking kidding me? A lot of movies are shot there. Actually, I think I did read that somewhere. <clears throat> uh, what did the rock group do in the Taft Hotel that was so hard to clean up? Well, they did a lot of things. They roasted a goat, for one thing. Yeah, that, that, was, what, that was the one I was going for. <laughs> and they didn't realize that the, the toilet was... was you know inside the hotel so yeah that's what i said kind of i just said they defecated everywhere okay well, uh, which four actors in the movie were in our, have been in our past deep dives oh that's a good question uh catherine o'hara um that's correct jane lynch that's correct I don't know if I know the other two. Uh, you don't have to know the actors' names because I would not have known them either. Bob Balaban? <laughs> That's not That's right. That's not correct. Okay, I don't know. Okay, Patrick Crenshaw, who plays uh, Leslie, he is the hobo in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Wow. Wow. Could, so, <laughs> and if you Don, if you got that one right, do you just win trivia? Is that just like the Terry half got it right, but he, I, he I got, got I got I gave I gave like two, four others, and then I went, oh oh oh, he's the hobo, isn't he? <laughs> and then Don S. Davis, who is the judge at the end of the movie, uh, the main judge, he is Racine's manager in uh, League of Their Own. Wow. All right. <laughs> And the last question, you have already won. You have 14 to Terry's eight and a half, I guess. Uh, what is Meg and Hamilton's new dog's name at the end of the movie? Oh. 
I don't know. I don't remember. Kipper. Kipper. Not as cute of a dog, in my opinion. A little bit more horny. Maybe a, a, a uh, candidate for Stickman in this movie. <laughs> I like it. All right. So Zach wins. So that means, Zach, tell us all about Best in Show. Well, Best in Show is, uh, we, we uh, back in the days of the, vlo- of the vlog, we did, uh, you know, top comedies of the 2000s, and this was my number one comedy. Uh, and uh, I love this movie. Um, you know, I, I've seen it a bunch of times, and uh, it was a staple in, in my house growing up. It's one of the few movies, my family had very different comic tastes uh, but this was one of the few movies that we could all kind of connect with um, because it does have kind of the big belly laughs but a lot of this movie is very subtle and it's very character based and uh, this movie is also one of the reasons we want to talk about this movie is that you know it's, this is one of the staples of the mockumentary uh, genre that Christopher Guest and Michael McKeon really um, per, you know were the, were the pioneers of and uh, you know you, you can see the sort of see the comedy derivation or trajectory from this movie to a lot of other comedies of this past uh, 20 years and uh, it just holds up really well I think it's this and Spinal Tap are the two best Christopher Guest movies, in my opinion. And um, it's, you know, I'm a dog person. So, I, you know, also as a dog person, you got that angle, too. And uh, just I, countless great scenes after another. And this it is a tragedy that this movie never had either a sequel or a TV spinoff. But maybe it's better that way. Just leave it perfect, like the way it is. Yeah, I'd seen this movie once a long time ago, and I really remembered nothing about it. And watching it again, I was so much funnier than I remember it being. And and it is, it's just, it's just hilarious. Just laugh after laugh after laugh. I loved it. Yeah, you know, it's one of those movies. It's like it's never going to make the AFI top one hundred or top comedies. It didn't get a lot of nominations or Oscar buzz or anything. But like, I feel like a lot of people have seen it and are big fans of this movie. But it's still sort of a cult movie. So um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you guys are, you know haven't seen it as much as I have, but I know a lot of people who who've seen it and, and really love it. Yeah the the best the biggest thing it got is it was nominated at the Golden Globes for Best Picture and Comedy Musical. And also one movie of the year at AFI. That's interesting. Todd, what, what's your background with this movie? Uh, similar to Terry, I'd only seen it one time. And I, I like Christopher Guest movies a lot. I, I don't think it's his best movie. I don't even know that I consider Spinal Tap a Christopher Guest movie. I guess, I guess he could because he wrote yeah. it. And, but uh, yeah, I, I, I love the mockumentary style. And it, it definitely improved the, this time that I watched it. I think I... I think I had it at three stars originally when I watched it, and uh, yeah, but I hadn't revisited it in at least a decade. So yeah, that was me too. That was me too, and I, I it probably bumps up at least to like a three and a half for me pro- with the rewatch. So yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just like, there's so many funny moments in this movie that are not big set pieces. Like we talked a little bit about this with like Meet the Parents, but I just I love comedies that are based on like character quirks and sort of irrational um, reactions to things and strange behaviors, and that is all this movie. I mean, there's you know there's no big comic hijinks or anything, but like 
I mean, lots of subtle stuff I noticed this time, like, you know, Jennifer Coolidge using that little microscope at the end of the movie to look at her fingernail. I'd never noticed that before, but like stuff like that is, I just think hilarious. And it's so, it, it, I think it's a testament to how much time and preparation these actors put into their characters. Because if I, according to IMDb, the script to this movie was like only 15 pages and the vast majority of it was improvised. And um, it's just a testament to, to, you know, their comic talent and their genius. I can imagine Christopher Guest movies, the script is simply, all right, here's what has to happen in this scene. And that, that's all that's all the script is. And it's just like descriptions of scenes so that, and then the actors kind of create what's, how to get there. Yeah, well, I mean, he uses a, a lot of the same cast, which which helps that. I mean, it, but it, at the same time, like that, that doesn't always... I, I, like if you look at a Wes Anderson movie or something, like those are very scripted. You can tell, but and he uses the same cast because he trusts them. But like in this, he uses them because they are great. Yeah, they're great spontaneous actors. They do improperly well, and they all have great chemistry. And you can see by like the song that you know Jerry and Cookie sing that it probably inspired the reason why Mighty Wind was made. You know, it, it's a, it's a, it's it's special to watch these actors together. Yeah, well, and, I mean, you got you, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara are like at this point legends in their their comedy duo and what they've been able to do. But then I, I was I found it funny that a guy like Bob Balaban, who you look at, is like this is like the ultimate straight man that is not really funny in any way just by looking at him. But he ends up in all these movies because he is such a good straight man and such a good guy to play off of. Yeah, I mean, he was also the head of NBC on Seinfeld, the season where Jerry and George try to sell their TV show. So, and it's basically the exact same role. But he's also Phoebe's father in Friends. Oh, that's true. Very interesting. Yeah, well, the reason I think I like this one more than the other Christopher Guest movies is like if you look at For Your Consideration and uh, Waiting for Guffman and Mighty Wind, I feel like those movies are based on kind of. Uh, elaborate set pieces and sort of high concept stuff like if you look at um, um, you know uh, uh, Waiting for Guffman I mean the end of that movie is just this big spectacle of a you know disastrous uh, play production and I mean it's funny but like this movie is so much more just about these weird quirky characters who come out of just nowhere and you want to know more about them and I don't know like like I think one of the criticisms of you know uh, A Mighty Wind is that it just was maybe a little too in love with the music and not enough character development I think that's an, it's a fair criticism the, the, do the dog stuff in this movie is funny but it's really just sort of a means to an end to explore these ridiculous characters well I think what's funny about it being dogs too is dogs can be unpredictable and so the fact that you have these dogs in there and you don't really know what they're going to do or what the reactions to different things are going to be and it gives that extra element of unpredictability that the actors are playing off of in every scene as well, It's uh, which is just so much fun. Yeah, I mean, that being said, dog show, a dog show is a perfect thing to mock and parody because... Honestly, if you're a dog owner, what like what what dog owner would take something like that seriously, you know? And um, it's uh, it's a sort of perverse, twisted way that of looking at dog ownership in this kind of weird, you know, perverse uh, beauty pageant setting, and it's just a it's it's ripe for mockery. Yeah. All right. Well, um, the first thing we talked about, or the, that we're going to do here, that we're going to talk about, is um, we're going to build a Mount Rushmore of mockumentaries, and I believe Zach, you said movies or TV, right? Yes. Movies or TV, mockumentaries, Mount Rushmore. Um, this could be really interesting. I'm going to go first, 
And I'm going to take one um, that I think, as soon as I heard TV was involved, I'm like, yes, I can, I can take a, a low-hanging fruit here. And I'm going with The Office. I think The Office is the perfect example of what a mockumentary looks like on TV. And, uh, and it's just awesome. And just seeing, I mean, Michael Scott, Jim Halpert, Dwight Schrute. I mean, Dwight Schrute is a character built for a Christopher Guest movie. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's such a, just such a great show. And the fact that it lasted, what, like eight or nine seasons of mockumentary is just great. So, yeah, that's, that's my pick for, for Mount Rushmore here. Um, Todd, you're next. Uh, so there's a lot of choices. I have 10 written down that I could choose from. Uh, I'll go a little off the board, sort of. I'm going to go with American Vandal, the uh, Netflix Ooh, TV show. Good which call. It's not a, a, it's a mockumentary in the same way that Best in Show is. Like, there isn't a ton of just, like, straight interviews with people, but it is someone following around people with a camera and uh, breaking the third wall and... Or fourth wall. I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, I, I don't know. American Vandal is a great Breaking show. a number of walls. Yeah. There are a lot of walls, and they all are broken at some point. I don't know. It's a, it's a great show, and I, I, I'm pretty sure it qualifies as a mockumentary. Uh, but it, it's a classic, like, Netflix show. It only had two seasons, unfortunately, and it needed a lot more. Because that, that was one of my favorite things to watch when it was on. I have not seen American Vandal. I need to watch that one. That is a great call, Todd. That show, which you turned me on to, is a magnificent show. Both seasons are absolutely incredible writing. And, yeah, absolutely some of the best TV of this decade, for sure. And, All right, and, and it's Zach, what's your pick? Also low-key a great mystery, too, because it is really hard to, to solve the mystery, you know, even as hilarious as the story is. Um, All right, true. so... Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm gonna go with my low-hanging fruit. Which, if I'm not gonna, ch- if I can't choose best in show, I'm I'm still gonna stick with the guest McKean crew and go with Spinal Tap. I mean, I love this movie. I have all the songs on from Spinal Tap on my phone. You know, from great records like Intravenous De Milo and Shark Sandwich, aka Shit Sandwich. And, um, you know, the movie's, like, eminently quotable. You know, it's definitely a ten, uh, an 11 out of 10 for sure. And, um, you know, it makes you nostalgic for, uh, you know, drummers who die because they choked on someone else's vomit. And you can't really, can't really dust for vomit. So um, it, it, it's a classic, and uh, classics never die, just like rock and roll. Uh, did, did you know that the, uh, the IMDb scale on This Is Spinal Tap for rating it goes to 11? That's appropriate. I did not know. <laughs> yeah, if you go to the IMDb page for This Is Spinal Tap, it's a 7.9 out of 11. This one goes can, to 11. Can you this actually rate it 11. 11? That's a great question. I mean, look. No, you can only rate it a 10, but it goes to 11. <laughs> <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> Oh, uh, okay. So we've we've got we've got the office. We got American Vandal. We've got this is Spinal Tap. Um, for a fourth one, are we going to go best in show? I mean, I'd be kind of okay with that. Well, I want to hear the Todd, other, the other nine that had? Todd had. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think the best sitcom ever is Rested Development, and that definitely qualifies in this category. It's a good I, I do love For Consideration and A Mighty Win more than I do Best in Show. Uh, Trailer Park Boys is a TV show that I have always loved throughout like the 13 or something seasons that they have of it. 
Uh, just completely vulgar stuff out of Canada. It's, it's awesome. I also have What We Do in the Shadows, Tour to Pharmacy, and the mm. Lisa Kudrow's, like, tortured HBO project, The Comeback. And I also, I mean, if you're talking mockumentary, like a, a fake documentary, you gotta, like, District 9 counts, right? It doesn't have to be a comedy. Oh. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking with, like, Spinal, or uh, not Spinal Tap, uh, Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity. Like, do we call those mockumentaries, too, or are they found footage films? Or does that fall sort of in the same umbrella? Yeah, found footage, I feel like, is a slightly different thing. But I don't know where to put District 9 if it... And then if it if it needs to be a comedy, yeah, you could almost say District Nine is like an an action thriller version of like something like The Office, where you've you know you're interviewing a guy and as he's going through and I don't know. Hmm, that's interesting. hadn't thought about that. I like your shout out to Tour de Pharmacy though, but that that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I, it's been mentioned several times on this podcast. <laughs> So I, I think I, I agree with something you said earlier that this is Spinal Tap. I mean, you could say it's a Christopher Guest movie, but it's not fully because he didn't direct it. So I think we need to go with one of the Christopher Guest films as the fourth one. Whether it's Best in Show, Mighty Wind for your consideration. Waiting for Guffman. We're waiting for Guffman. I, I actually haven't seen Waiting for Guffman. That's the one of them I haven't seen. I say we go I Best in Show. Consideration's best one. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's all subjective. I just, I didn't find that as funny as Best in Show. That's that's why I was sort of avoiding the Christopher Guest, because I, I know we have sort of different opinions about that. Well, you could kind of say Best in Show is the, is the original, and everything else is kind of playing with, in the same, in the same sandbox as Best in Show of what that created, right? Well, Waiting I for w- Guffman was first. Oh, Waiting for Guffman was first, It wasn't was his first, first yeah. movie, but that was his first yeah. documentary, for sure. I would, I would, I would contemplate District Nine, which I haven't seen in a really long time. But I, I, it, it is a really cool movie that is offbeat, and I think definitely qualifies as a mockumentary. I mean, I love District Nine. That's a great movie. Let's do it. That's our fourth. Cool. Wow. Yeah, that's really going outside the box there. Okay. Well, but I mean, mockumentaries are meant to be outside the box, so we've got. We've got The Office, we've got American Vandal, we've got This Is Spinal Tap, and District 9. I was not expecting that that would be a place we would go with that And one. can I just express my gratitude that we never mentioned the word Borat in this conversation? Oh, I didn't think of that. Well, well Bruno's or actually the, not or that the bad. Dictator. Well, The Bor- Dictator's a good movie. Yeah, The Dictator's not bad. If Borat, though, is the overrated piece of trash that never should have gotten an Oscar nomination. I don't understand how a movie like that that you know is completely, <laughs> completely improvised in every way got a, a screenplay nomination. That makes no sense. What about, like, okay. I'm Still Here? Yeah, that, that I think that, that qualifies. That definitely qualifies. But Played by two Oscar winners. That's true. I just don't think it's at I don't think it's at the same level as these other movies we've talked about, but you know. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's uh let's get into our next thing here which is uh recasting. And uh we're, so we're recasting best in show. Zach, you you gave us five of the main characters to recast and if we could come up with any others for some of the others cuz there's not really a main character or a set of main characters unless you go with like 10 different characters. So, we've got five of them here we're going to go with. 
The first one we're going to go with is uh, Jerry Fleck, played by Eugene Levy. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to go first. I'm going to go first on our recasting here. So, um, I, I, I really love all my recastings, by the way. I think this, I've got a perfect set for, for these five here. Jerry Fleck, Eugene Levy, my, uh, my new Jerry Fleck is Steve Carell. Yeah, that's I, I think bad. he's, yeah, he's got the comedy chops to do it. He's got the awkwardness, um, that, that Eugene Levy brings to it. Uh, he'd be great. That, that's my pick. Zach, what about you? Yeah, Steve Carell certainly came to mind for me, as did Ed Helms. But I think that's almost too easy because of you know his role in The Office. So um, I, while watching um, this movie again, I was really struck by the picture of young Jerry and uh, in his suit at the prom. And I thought he bore an uncanny resemblance to Austin Danger Powers. So I'm exactly. going with uh, Mike Myers as uh, Jerry Fleck. <laughs> the teeth. It is the teeth. I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> oh man that's hilarious (laughs) all right todd who do you got well i feel like a lot of his awkwardness rubbed off on uh of of eugene levy his his awkwardness rubbed off on jason biggs so so i was thinking that but then i thought like zach galifianakis would would be awesome to hear him sing god loves a terrier (laughs) and uh yeah i i could see him like completing like the gags more than i could jason biggs so i went with that i went with there very nice, very nice. All right, next next we have Cookie Fleck, played by brilliantly by Catherine O'Hara. Um, so I'm looking if I've got I've got Steve Carell. I need someone that has proven they can play off of Steve Carell. I went with Elizabeth Banks. Yep. So this is so this is an all forty uh, year old version recasting so far. I like it. Uh, so far, yeah. It's it, I I I would say I definitely have kind of an Apatow spin on my recasting here, but I think it works. Zach, what do you got? So um, I was actually thinking about Tony Collette because we saw her range in that Charlie Kaufman movie, whatever it was. And um, but I, I I decided to not go with that. I wanted someone who could play a little bit more outlandish comedy, and I went with someone uh, who hasn't been around very much lately, but she uh, was awesome back in the day. I hope she's doing well, and that is. Uh, uh, Jenny McCarthy, she would be great in this role, and you could you could see her her um, quite prodigious past uh, coming back to to haunt her throughout this movie. Can she act? Uh, you know, she was She's with been in movies. She was with Jim Carrey. <laughs> Maybe she has been in movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, she is married to Donnie Wahlberg now, so well, there see, you I go. I was thinking like the the porn star route for Christy Cummings for obvious reasons. Dot, what do you got? Uh, For Cookie, like you gotta kind of find like an unlikely skank, and so I'm with Amy Poehler, and because I feel like she she would easily live in that world. That's a good call. I like that. I like that one. (laughs) Okay, next we have we have Holland Pepper, played by Christopher Guest. Um. Uh, yeah, th- this one was a fun one, and I think there's a lot of different guys who could pull this off, but um, no one can pull off fun voices like that quite like Bill Hader. And so uh, I- I've got Bill Hader as Harlan. Honestly, Bill Hader can almost play like every male role in this movie, and it would be hilarious. <laughs> I like it. Although well, I don't know that he would be a great Jerry. I don't think, I think he's too tall to play Jerry. 
He might be too tall to play Jerry, but he he could play. Um, or the he could or the play, Mayflower uh, guy, Stefan or Scott. Well, yeah, we'll we'll get into that. That's I think that's conspiracy theory territory a little later, Terry. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah. All right, Zach, what do you got? Uh, so I also thought about uh, rich Southern drawls, and you know, lately there's only one actor who can really pull it off, and that is uh, Daniel Craig as Harlan Pepper because we. <laughs> That is, that is beautiful. We, we know he has the comic chops and the voice. Can't you see him dancing? Talk about unlikely people. Yeah, unlikely people walking a dog through a dog show. James Bond. Well, mine might be a little bit even more unlikely, but I could see him being the kind of guy that would like, like live in like a, a like a like a what is what is like a bait shop or whatever that is that they have in North Carolina. So I'm with Danny McBride. <laughs> because he would I mean he would stand out for yeah. sure but like that is the kind of personality he's had in like several of his movies and uh, I-, I think it'd be hilarious oh that's good that's good <laughs> okay uh, next we've got Sherry Ann uh, played by Jennifer Coolidge um, there was really only one choice here uh, and that is Rebel Wilson I mean mm. That'd be that'd be perfect. That'd be per- I could see her just sliding into that and doing her thing and it being hilarious. So that's what I went with. Zach, what do you got? Yeah, this was the toughest one for me to recast. I thought about Cecily Strong's impression of Melania Trump, um, but I ultimately decided to go with Jessica Barth, who plays Tammy Lynn in Ted. I, now, I don't know if she's really that funny. I can't think of her in any other role, but I feel like this role is is like Tammy Lynn. I, that, I mean, that's oh. that's perfect. I, mean, <laughs> I, I honestly love all of our picks. I went with Amanda Seyfried because that is totally oh, the good. kind of thing that she does. I, I don't even know who's the best of the three that we just chose because they're all those are inspired picks. <laughs> but yeah, not an easy one to recast Jennifer Coolidge. I mean, Stifler's mom is Stifler's mom. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. Uh, okay. All right. The last one of the five that we're, uh, that we all got here is, uh, is Buck. Played by, brilliantly by Fred Willard, Buck Laughlin. Um, I, I went a little outside the box here. Uh, my pick for Buck is Ron Burgundy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I, I was, it's like that, that's, I mean, you just put Ron Burgundy on that desk and whatever he spouts out of his mouth. <laughs> oh, a, a shih tzu, that, that's a fun one to say. Uh, <laughs> I could just see it. it, it would be, it would be amazing. So Ron Burgundy is my choice. <laughs> Zach, what do you got? Yeah, I'm not going to top that. I, I said Tony Romo, <laughs> but I like Ron Burgundy better. I, I changed my vote. I just I'm gonna copy Terry. Well, if you're going for absolute uh, improv in that kind of situation, there is only one color guy that can do it, and that is Bill Walton. Yeah. I also was thinking about Thomas Hayden Church because there are certain times when I feel like he easily could have said those role those lines as Jack in that part, but uh, I mean Bill Walton. I mean, no, not Thomas Hayden Church. Jack. Yeah. Jack. Jack is it. 
<laughs> but like Buck kind of reminds me. It reminded me of when like uh, when Bobby Knight was the like, color guy on ESPN for a while for college games. Like he would just like go off on like random tangents and think he was funny. I that's exactly the way that Fred Willard is, and it, it, yeah, hard. It's hard to replace. But I mean, Bill Walton. I mean, I I he does that already. Imagine him doing a dog yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> but see, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be the the main announcer guy. Like he like. Buck is the main guy, and then the the like color analyst is the British dude. So no, the other guy is like the play-by-play guy. Like he's the, he's he's the guy that's I don't know. They're kind of both color guys in that way, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, you you know you know if like if like Jack from Sideways did it, they would announce him as his uh, as his soap opera role. Kind of, kind of like Joey Tribbiani, known for being Dr. Drake Ramore. <laughs> Derek Summersby. Yeah, that's the name. Derek Summersby. I couldn't remember what it was. Derek Summersby. Right, I had a few others that I wanted to, I wanted to say. I, the Meg, yeah, go for Meg it. Meg Swan. I went with Emma Watson. Uh, Parker Posey's oh. not, 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 not easy to replace, but I mean, that, the weir- that, I don't know. That character's really weird, and Emma Watson would really be interesting to watch there. And Stefan and Scott... You could pick whichever one you want for this, but it's Mike White and Jack Black. Like, if you, they're interchangeable, and I kept imagining them as those parts in and reversing the roles, and it never changed. They both would be just like brilliant. I, I would say if I wasn't gonna put Bill Hader as Harlan, you've got to go um, Bill Hader as Scott, being Stefan, and then Stefan being uh, John Mulaney. Yeah. <laughs> Who helped write Stefan? <laughs> <laughs> Zach, did you have any others? Yeah, I, I had a few quick others. I said that uh, Christy Cummings, uh, I think the only real per- I mean, J- you know, Jane Lynch could probably still play her today, but I think the only other real person you could cast in that role would be Kate McKinnon. And uh, I had Leslie um, being played by Bruce Dern. And, um, <laughs> without any lines, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's kind of like a, the same role as once upon a time in Hollywood, exactly. Yeah, and then, um, I also had as uh, as uh, Cookie's ex lovers J.K. Simmons, Bruce Willis, Corey Stoll, Michael Chiklis, and Dean Norris. <laughs> I, I love uh, it, Mike Michael Chiklis. That is an inspired pick right there. Just have uh, to go bald and stocky, you know. That's that's her type. Bald and stocky. That's all. That's all you need. That's all you need. Uh, all right. Who would Nicolas Cage play? <laughs> it, it would be ridiculous, regardless of who, what, what the role is. Um, I I went. I my my choice for who Nicolas Cage p- would play was uh, Graham Chisholm, played by Don Lake, the guy who was running the venue. The guy from talking about Man. how the. Yeah, yeah, the guy guy talking about how they have to shake out the drape or the the curtain as they're pulling it up. It's like he he would take that part seriously, and it would be hilarious. It, it would almost be like his his character in Kick Ass before he's the he's the the superhero. Well, I, if he played Harlan Pepper, he could he could just go off on his random like shit, like when when he's like dr- uh, just driving down the road and he's just like spouting off all the different kinds of nuts. Like, I mean, Nicolas Cage could easily do that. It would make it really entertaining. 
Yeah, I could also see, like, you know, in, in a jacket, like, formal Nicolas Cage um, playing the role of the uh, of, of uh, doc, uh, Dr. Theodore Milbank, you know. Um, but I could also see him a little bit playing the Larry Miller character, Max Berman, because I could see him giving that speech where he's telling his son to jump off or he's going to gouge his eye out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's so funny. Okay. Highest war performance. Zach, highest war. Wow. I mean, this is a really tough one because uh, there's just so... I mean, basically what you're saying with highest war is the most irreplaceable person in this movie. And I think this whole... I mean, I almost thought, like, it's sort of a pointless exercise even doing recasting because I think all these actors are so perfectly cast. But if I have to go with one that I really can't imagine um, anyone else playing, I think I would have to go Christopher Guest as... Harlan Pepper. I I know that, you know, I mean, you know, I said Daniel Craig, but I think he get like, there's a sort of sweetness to his performance that, you know, where some of the other performances, you just kind of laugh at them for how outrageous they are. But Harlan Pepper is just a really sweet, friendly guy. And, you know, in his scenes, we really get to know a lot about his life. Uh, and yet there are some parts that are still pretty inexplicable, like um, his his uh, kibbutz trip on, on El Al Airlines at the end of the movie is, is pretty amazing. And, um, you know, his interest in ventriloquy and, and fishing. Um, again, the, the whole if I had to pick one character that the whole movie could be about, it probably would be Harlan Pepper. So he, he has to be the, the highest war. All right. Todd, what do you got? Yeah, I say Christopher Guest as well. I I don't think it's not necessarily his be, uh, the best performance in the movie, but I think it's the hardest to replace. Like he he just sort of like mutters along to an extent that you kind of feel like he is that character, and he does that a lot. But he's never ever given credit for the great performances that he gives, other than maybe Waiting for Guffman was the only time that he was the lead and like he was actually uh, got notoriety for it. But like he, I think he's awesome in this movie, and I well, and think I, about. I, it, how different yeah. those roles are. Like Corky St. Clair is nothing like like Harlan Pepper. I mean, that is it's completely removed. And then that, those two characters are nothing like his character in Spinal Tap. So like he's Loki, a great actor. He doesn't. I get know, but he's never props. given credit for it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, yeah, he, he becomes those characters. It's like he becomes like the Doctor in A Few Good Men. You know, like that, I, that character is completely different than everything else he does. But like that's a great like one scene, one off performance that he gives. I don't. Know. I was gonna say, how how can you not say his best performance isn't in A Few Good Men, Todd? I mean, come on. Do you know who? By, by the way, I, Todd and I talked about this yesterday. I couldn't remember if we had deep dived A Few Good Men or not, but we just did a recasting, and I have to I have to rat Todd out here. Oh, yeah. Todd was Go convinced. Yeah, <laughs> Todd was convinced that uh, that Lieutenant Colonel uh, Markinson in A Few Good Men was played by Michael McKeon. And and he's not. And he's not. No, he's not. J.C. Walsh not and that. Michael McKean are apparently not the same actor. <laughs> They're not the same actor. <laughs> what I, apparently Michael McKean is undefeated on Celebrity Jeopardy. That that's there's a there's a little thing for you. Okay, Zach, go. Do you know who Christopher Guest is married to in real life? Oh, I thought this was I interesting. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Married wow. for wow. for a very very long time, like thirty years. That's an interesting pair. She should be in these movies. <clears throat> All right, my highest war is uh, is Fred Willard. I mean, yeah. 
he he is so good and like i had to go with a made-up character to recast him um because he's just so good um uh, a made-up character that by the way his boss is fred willard in anchorman um <laughs> he, oh he's, nice i didn't even think of yeah. that yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh and and fred willard actually one-ups ron burgundy whenever he's in a scene with him uh yeah fred willard was a one of a kind and could do things in a way that nobody else could i i know a lot of people who love this movie say that if this was going to get any awards love fred willard should have gotten a best supporting actor nomination and uh and i agree with that so that's my pick for highest war good choice hard to argue yep all right now to go to the other end of the spectrum worst performance todd Who's the worst performance here? Uh, I don't know. There's two I have in mind. I'm going to go with Cody Gregg as Zach Berman, who is the <laughs> the boy uh, uh, that that steals the dog. He just looks, like, haunted. And uh, I don't know. I, I It's his only performance ever. He kind of looks like a future, like, sh- like, school shooter or something. I, that's probably terrible to say. But, I mean, he, I mean, he is a <laughs> terrifying-looking young child. And... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That that should not have been that should not have been that character. I mean, yeah. I, what what kind of ch- child does a hostage negotiator raise? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, my my pick is uh is Jay Brazo as Doctor Chuck Nelkin, the uh, therapist for uh, Megan Hamilton. Oh. I mean, first off, I mean, all we ever see of him is an extreme close-up of his nose hair, and uh, he just, like, is obviously reading his lines and watching the clock to, to time out, and uh, that's about it. And doesn't even really care that, that Kipper is humping his leg. So, that's my worst performance. Zach, what do you got? Um, there's no bad performances in this movie. I'm going to say say that as a caveat. I mean, I really tried to look hard for bad performance, but I couldn't really find one. So I'm not going to go bad performance. Instead, I'm going to say miscast. And I'm going to say that uh, the the person who's miscast, I, actually, I'm trying to look for him in the credits, but I can't find him. Maybe this is also conspiracy theory, but the guy who's in the airport that Beatrice the Weimariner barks at, um, it's not a bad performance, but it's a miscast performance because he also looks like he slept with Cookie Googleman at some point in his life. <laughs> <laughs> and the filmmakers never uh, capitalized on that. So more of a missed opportunity than a bad performance. My, my favorite like throwaway line in the entire movie is, is Buck calling what's going on. Hey, that, that handler looks familiar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then it just moves on. Like, that's all you get. Well, I thought one of Todd's questions was going to be how many lovers are revealed to be, you know, Cookie's lovers over the course of the movie. And I had four, but we we don't know. I mean, Butch is the, uh, you know, the the ambiguous one. Butch is a dog. Oh, why did I say Butch? Oh, I meant um, uh, Buck. No, Bolt. Well, Bolch is the guy at the end who's the the studio programmer. Who's I, not wearing underwear? Never done it on a roller coaster before. <laughs> well, B- Butch is the other name for for the Rhapsody dog, in right. White, right? So there's Butch, Bolge, and Buck in this movie. Hard to kind of get them all right. Uh, 
All right. Uh, next, we have, I, I, this is my favorite category just because of the name, The Amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, is this something you want to share with the group, Amazing Larry? Uh, <laughs> Todd, who's your favorite minor character? Uh, well, it, it is a two minor characters and they are the fish and hole guys played by will sasso <laughs> who is one of the movers in happy gilmore and uh stephen e miller uh yeah harlan is leaving for the dog show and these guys are only concerned about if he's gonna get a chance to fish in philadelphia or not like the, the one guy he wants hubert to like rough up the other dogs like he's going to a dog fight he even asks him if he's gonna catch a that yes the dog is gonna catch a fish like these guys i want to watch another a movie about those two like weirdos like because those guys seem so authentic like they could have easily been like not even actors Th- those guys are awesome <laughs> Yeah, I was surprised to see Will Sasso in that. Will Sasso was a Mad TV alum. He's been he's done a few other things, but yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah, doesn't he say something like, uh, "If you get, get get hungry, eat something. If you get tired, pull over." <laughs> Great advice. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like he's like instructing Forrest Gump before he goes on his run. <laughs> when I'm tired, I. Eat. All right, uh, my fav my uh, my favorite minor character is. Uh, Hiro Kanagawa as the uh, pet shop clerk. Um, just because he, he seems like the only normal person in the entire movie. Like, he, he's like, um... Because he's, he's the only one that's like, okay, dogs don't actually see color. They just kind of see... And so he's like, this is striped kind of like a bumblebee. He might respond to it in a similar way. It's like, that's not a bumblebee! It's like, I'll take this. He goes, that is the least like a bumblebee of anything we've talked about. I love that character, because he was like, he's the one person's like, is anybody else realizing that this is completely insane? It was great. It was great. I love that. I love that character. Good, good call. He's one of the few voices of reason in this movie. Yes. <laughs> Zach, what do you got? Uh, well, it depends on your definition of a minor character. So, um, if I'm allowed to choose, I mean, if I'm allowed to choose from the main cast, I don't know if this really counts, but I've always loved John Michael Higgins as Scott Donlin. Uh, again, I would watch a movie about that character, but I-, I don't know if he's a minor character or not. I mean, I love when he talks about his past and don't knock it if you haven't tried it and his uh, penchant for for um, uh, you know red leather pants. But if we're going tr- a true minor character, and uh, you know, we'll also have to say Buck Laughlin, do- you know, he he does not count as a minor. character character but if we're going true minor character then the answer is obvious and that is larry miller as max berman who uh is the <laughs> chief hostage negotiator at the akron and tri-cities Tri- uh police department and he he lets lets us in on a little secret which is that they all jump and um they always jump they always they jump, always jump. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. By the way, their house in the movie, Larry Miller's house, is the exact same house that Cammie and her husband have in Sideways. Conspiracy theory. I like it. Ooh. Except it's in Akron and not, you know, uh, wine country. So, uh, if, if I'm going to say one other person, uh, I'm going to go, I'll, another one I'll throw out there, Ed Begley Jr. as the mm-hmm. hotel manager. I love that character, because he's kind of the straight man, but at the same time, like, yeah, his whole, his whole bit about the, uh, about the, um, the rock band, and, uh, I mean, he, he's just, 
he's just hilarious. I, he's, yeah, I love him. Uh, okay. Biggest stick, man. Zach? Well, are we talking human characters or dog characters? Um, I, I think, I think it's, it's open to interpretation. Well, I think clearly the biggest stick men in this, I'll just take the low-hanging fruit, is Cookie Fleck, Nay, Cookie Googleman. Um, put the, the, the rare female stick man, um, can we call this the Jenny Gump Award, maybe? Because um, really, there, there's, there's no other comparison in this movie. And um, it is a hilarious running gag in this movie that never grows stale. And uh, we've already talked about it, you know, four times. And uh, it's still hilarious to talk about. Hundreds. 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 I did not know that. You don't. You don't forget the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's the obvious choice. That's the only thing I had written down too. <laughs> Todd, what do you have? Uh, I was thinking Leslie Ward Cabot, uh, because of his physical relationship with uh, you know, uh, what what what's her name? Uh, Stuffler's mom. I mean, he's been at it for like Stiffler. eighty years. I mean, that, he's yeah. like he's like a Hugh Hefner type. I feel like he he just can't do it anymore because he's in a wheelchair. But he absolutely had his had his day as a stick man. I, I feel like they were kind of going for like the uh, the Anna Nicole Smith mm-hmm. relationship there. That's yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Todd. How about a biggest douchebag? I was gonna go with Max Berman. Uh, he, I don't know. He makes out with Cookie right in front of her husband, and he says, uh, he says twice, like in French, which doesn't actually make any sense, but it's kind of funny because he says it so like slyly with that like weird look on his face. And he said, and he, and he also says, "I'm gonna stab you with forks until you bleed." I mean, that's not probably not something you should probably say to your son. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a good call. That's a good call. My my uh my biggest douchebag is uh is the the uh the swans, Megan Hamilton. That that's they're they're about as as douchey as you get in every way, shape, or form. In every interaction they have with any other character other than themselves, they prove their douchiness. Um, yeah, they they are they are ridiculous. <laughs> They're, they're my biggest douchebags. Zach, what do you got? I mean, I can't argue with that at all. You know, like, um, you know, we met at a Starbucks and then looked across the street and you were at the Starbucks and I was really into Grande Espressos back then, but now I'm into cappuccinos and chai tea, chai tea lattes with soy. Like, that. that's like the, you know, that is the pinnacle of like a douchebag scene. Like, can we just, can, like, can we change the name of this award to the Swan Douchebag Award? Yeah, and then you add all that to the fact that they both have adult braces, and uh... <laughs> with their max and their law studying law. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that would be the, the Swan Oliphant Award because Oliphant still is like the best douchebag actor ever. The Swan Oliphant Award. Okay, we're doing it. The Swan Oliphant douchebag. You know what I thought it was or the Ol- <laughs> the Oliphant Swan. Why are you staring at me, Swan? You don't uh. speak Spanish. <laughs> uh, so you, right. you know what, what was kind what of... Well, I was just going to say, you know what's kind of interesting about the, uh, that award is that you might think 
that Christy Cummings would be in the running for biggest douchebag. But the truth is, she's really not a douchebag. Like, even, something I noticed this time is when, you know, Cookie trips on her sh- shoe at the end of the movie. Like, uh, Christy Cummings is really, like, sympathetic. She holds Winky and she wants, you know, she puts the, the tag on Eugene Levy. And then there's an earlier scene where she's admiring the bloodhound that uh, Harlan Pepper has. Like, he, she comes, you know, uh, uh, on the surface she's a douchebag, but she's actually a pretty friendly person. I think that's a testament to Jane Lynch making that character a little bit more uh, sophisticated and multidimensional than what would meet the eye. Well, I don't think that it necessarily was the character. I think it was that they never saw them as a threat, because I, I, like, there's no way that... Maybe. You know, uh, Scott and Stefan would have done that for for, um, for Cookie or Cr- Christy or whatever, because, like, she was their main competition, but it's like this lady that n- was never going to win... Like like you know, breaks her shoe and her and hurts her leg. It's like yeah, everybody was there picking her up. Not not just you know not not just her husband. I don't know. I I, I thought that was more of like a a show of like that this is like an innocent person kind of thing. That's fair. But one thing I thought was really interesting is if the flex had a dog that was any bigger than that tiny little thing. There's no way Jerry could have done it because he would have had to run. Like he, he, that was the old Winky was the only dog he could show because he only had to walk because that dog was so tiny. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Cinderella story came out of nowhere. Benjamin, Master's Championship. Uh, best scene. What's the best scene? I'll start. I have a good one. Go for it. Um, my favorite scene in this movie that I wish had lasted longer and I believe is in deleted scenes. I don't. I actually don't own this movie, so I wasn't able to pour through the apparent 60 minutes of deleted scenes that this movie has. Um, but uh, the scene where the, the, the party uh, bef- before the event, the night before in the hotel lobby, when all the characters are introduced to each other. And like, I love when movies do that. I love when movies have large casts. And then in the middle of the movie, they kind of throw them all together. And you, you see these unlikely pairings like, you know, the Flex and Stefan and Scott and Harlan Pepper. And it's just... Um, it's it's a it's a great sort of meeting. I would also submit though, it's hard to pick one scene. I would also submit Harlan Pepper reciting all the nuts because I can't get through that scene without cracking up and I've seen that scene uh in, in you know so, countless times. Yeah, I was going I was going to say one of mine would was going to be Harlan in the van. Like that was going to be one of my one of my top scenes. Just be everything he does is is hilarious. The other scene I'm going to throw out that we've mentioned several times, and the more we've mentioned it, the more I'm like, yeah, this is totally one of my favorite scenes, is the scene with the Berman family. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just just <laughs> everything with that scene, and, you know, hostage negotiator trying to talk him down, and then and then the kid with the parachute at the table, and the, and the mom is trying to tell him to stop it, and he just keeps on, phew, phew, phew. <laughs> it's just, that scene is so messed up in so many ways. <laughs> Her voluptuous melons. <laughs> Why, thank you, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Todd, what do you got? Uh, well, yeah, the party, it, it reminded me of, like, Cortez's yacht party in Vice City, in Grand Theft Auto Vice City, like, where all the characters exactly. are there and you get to meet them all. <laughs> Definitely, I don't know, conspiracy theory or something. But my favorite scene is when uh, Jerry and Cookie are checking into the hotel 
Because that is Ed Begley at his best. And, like, the whole thing with, like, the card, and then they have to call the credit card company, and then he's no, like... No, 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 that's a good one. That's that, a good one. That is... <laughs> what about traveler's checks? Like, oh, yeah, you do you have two any? notices. No, I don't. <laughs> it's, it's genius. I mean, it's a perfect portrayal of, like, a like a, a married couple who are having a little bit of issues. And that, that kind of chemistry is what drives Christopher Guest movies, and like, going forward, and, and this one in general, too. Uh. <laughs> oh man. Oh, this movie's so funny. All right. Flaws, outdated Wait. conspiracy theories, Be- anything? Before we go oh, there, yeah, I, I wanted to add one category, which is be- who's the best dog in the movie. We we know oh, who gets yeah. who gets crowned at the end of this movie, but but there are also several great dogs in this movie. So I I'm curious, who who were your favorite dogs? The best dog is Hubert, for sure. Because I love a big, droopy-faced dog. Like, the uglier the dog, the cooler-looking the dog. And there is no uglier, droopy-looking dog than Hubert. Like, like he had, like the, the judge had to lift up, like, an entire side of his face just to see his teeth. I mean, that is that is the definition of a cool dog. And, and Hubert, I mean, he's, he's just, he's great. And he's got the best owner. Yeah, I, I, I love I love Hubert, too. Uh, I'm also going to say, I'm going to say Winky. Um, as my wife and I were watching this movie, we were cracking up hysterically whenever he was being showed just because how fast his legs need to move just to keep up with somebody walking <laughs> next to him. It was so funny to watch. It's just, this is it, it, oh, it was, it, it was the cutest thing in the world. So Winky is, is probably my, my favorite. Yeah, I usually don't like dogs that small, but if I had to get a dog that small, it would be a dog like Winky. Um, I don't think you can also not, just... Not a, not a dachshund, Zach? Not a dachshund? No, I'm not really... This is a second straight podcast. Kind of... You said you don't like small dogs, but you like I... the Chihuahua, like in the last... <laughs> uh... What was that even in? I don't know. That was the last podcast. I have no idea. I don't remember that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Well, I think you can't just th- dis- totally dismiss Beatrice because she is a-, a traumatized victim in this movie. I mean, she goes to psychotherapy. I- my dog is is very... I have a German short hair pointer, and that's kind of like a Weimaraner, so I'm a little partial to Beatrice. Also, don't count out Jessica, the fluffy dog that is with Bob Balaban early in the, in the movie, who apparently is just kind of, I think, his dog. But I think unquestionably Todd is right. Hubert is the best dog, in part because Hubert, of all the dogs, doesn't seem to care about the show at all he really just wants to um go walk in the woods and sleep in the back of the rv and he, he seems the most normal yeah of all the dogs if i were to pick one that i would own it would probably be beatrice because i the weimaraners are just cool looking they are cool but you dog know dog and all together now that was what we were talking about Oh, it was what? The yeah. dog and all together now, which is the title that I could never remember because nobody's ever. Oh, that's a terrible title. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't like that dog. I, in fact, what I said was I thought that that dog dying was a device used by the the screenwriter. I didn't particularly care for the dog. I don't like dogs that small. They they bark and they shit. That's all they're good for. I mean, that's what most dogs. Are, well, yeah, but the, you know, Hubert. Do. Hubert is a but, companion, though. Hubert can also talk and has telepathy. Get it right, Terry. This is true. This is true. <laughs> if you could say you could say Hubert was Harlan's first uh, uh, ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> yes, Any that's fish. fair. 
<laughs> and he can fish. And he'd look great in a Sherlock Holmes right. hat. <laughs> oh, with a pipe and everything. Oh my! I, that Can't just see it. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! How much do I do you think I bench press? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is a Bill Walton question for sure. <laughs> or Ron Burgundy. I can see Ron Burgundy throwing that out there. I know we haven't All right. we haven't talked about Jim Paddock as Trevor Beckwith, but he's great in this movie too. And it's not easy playing the stick man, kind of like what we were saying with Ed Bagley. But like, he's also like a low key high war performance because like it's hard to cast someone who who could stay that straight faced without drawing attention to himself and always just sort of being the reactive member of that comedy group. So he he's awesome in this movie as I well. I feel like he should have clapped back at some point, but he never does. Like, I I know that guy because he plays Agent Zero in uh, Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater. Uh, so his voice was distracting to see Second video game guy. reference. That was unexpected. That's, wow, man. How many video game references are we going to have on our the podcast? Best show the best podcast. in show That's okay, it's only two. That's only two, so, so far, so far. Maybe, maybe we need to quote, like, Vice City for your quote of the day or something. Maybe. All right, conspiracy theories. Zach, you said you had one. Well, I already mentioned the one about um, the guy at the airport also being a paramour of Cookie Fleck. I had another one, too, which is that the the uh, judge of the toy group um, that the, they say dropped out of seminary, um, and he was studying to be a priest, and my conspiracy theory is that Cookie was the reason he dropped out of seminary. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> made, made, his, made him question his vow of chastity. Um, my, my conspiracy theory is that, um, Harlan Pepper, uh, grew up with, uh, Benjamin Buford Blue, but you can call me Bubba, and, um, and Harlan, Harlan went into the nut business, and Bubba went into the shrimp business, <laughs> because they know everything. dogs now, though. <laughs> because they know, because Harlan knows everything about nuts, and, and Bubba knows everything about shrimp, so, uh. <laughs> well, Harlan has a brother, and his name is Octo. Don't forget that. Uh... <laughs> oh, man. Well, the the guy at the airport also is like a dead ringer for the dad in Veronica Mars, which, I, I, can't, I, I mean, I had to watch it twice, and I was like, that looks so much like him. I know it's not him, but, like, that's really weird. Uh, if I had a flaw, I would say that the movie kind of, like, hops around too much in the beginning. Like, you don't really get a sense of any of the characters until it calms down and they're at the, the dog show. I feel like it needed, like, a little, like, maybe five more minutes each with each with each group before it gets there. And my conspiracy theory is, like, if this movie was made in 2020, this would be, like, a Will Ferrell comedy in the style of Eurovision. But it wouldn't be, like, a mockumentary. It'd be more of, like, a social media-based thing or, or like, a maybe all shot on an iPhone or something like that. Like, it would be way more patronizing, and it would be... I don't know, it would probably be more broad than uh, than this, but it, I, I could see that movie being a really popular movie if it was made now. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw out another uh, conspiracy theory that, um, that, uh, that Leslie Ward Cabot actually is the hobo from Pee Wee, but how, how like, everyone that peewee ran into like turned into like this in this big thing and and like their life was better because of it like he went on and, and made millions after after running into peewee and and singing all the drinking songs from the side of the train that uh that he ended up making millions and marrying cherry ann and raising dogs 
That's what I'm going with. I love it. <laughs> Why not, right? Yeah. I had a couple other t- others, too, that uh, I thought we've sort of indirectly alluded to. One is that Spinal Tap was the band that uh, Mark is referring to. That, yes, that, that, uh, I love it. Didn't use the toilet properly. I think his line was, <laughs> I, they weren't aware that there was a toilet in the room. Um, the emphasis on in. <laughs> And uh, and then the other conspiracy theory, which again we sort of said, is that basically Scott, the John Michael Higgins character, is Stefan. And you really can't watch this movie in 2020 without thinking about uh, Stefan because they they are pretty much the same character. Another great scene. Well, I mean, what maybe the great most iconic image for for me from this movie is uh, uh, Scott walking out on onto the stage with his with his hand raised. Uh, just an incredibly memorable image. And I love the scene also where he has to decide between packing seven kimonos or eight kimonos for a forty eight hour trip, uh, twenty uh, <laughs> fifty miles away. Here we got for forty eight hours. Yeah. So I, you're right. I do need the eighth kimono. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. All good ones. All good ones. Okay. LVP. Todd, who's your LVP? Uh, my LVP is the the pet shop owner because he he wastes so much of Meg's time and he doesn't have the toy. Eventually, he makes the sale, but it didn't work. Like, I mean, a bear in a bee costume is not a bee. And I don't know. So yeah, that the, not a very not a valuable character there. <laughs> uh... <laughs> yes, Zach, who's your LVP? Uh, my LVP is Trevor Beckwith because he has to get stuck with Buck, and you know apparently he has a successful line of dog obedience books and. Um, I love how he says, oh, you told that joke last year, and uh, he's really just dying on the inside. Um, but, you know, that's what, that's, that's what makes his character so great in suffering. Maybe, maybe he's the most uh, uh, pathetic and, and, you know, the character that generates the most pity. My, my uh, let's see here. Oh, man. There's a couple I could go with. I'm, my LVP, I'm, I'm, de- I'm debating between, I mean... The swans could easily be LVP, because obviously the way Beatrice is is because of how crappy they are to her. Um, but I also want to go with, like, Cookie's knee as LVP, because, I mean, who gets a, who gets a debilitating uh, knee injury from uh, showing a dog? I mean, that, that, was, that was kind of bizarre. However, I will say, like, one of the, one of the best acting jobs in the entire movie is how she was able to walk around in heels trying to show that she had a bad knee and not actually hurting herself. Like, that might be my MVP, is Catherine O'Hara and her ability her to knee. walk around. So walk Cookie's around knee is with LVP a bum knee. and Catherine O'Hara's knee is MVP. <laughs> yes, exactly. Perfect. <laughs> no, no, no. Cookie's knee is LVP. Catherine O'Hara's ankle is MVP because it, she didn't break it in those heels trying to walk around showing she had a bum knee. So that's what I'm going with. <laughs> Todd, what's your MVP? <laughs> uh, it's Ed Begley Jr. as a hotel manager because if he wasn't such an amazing host, the champions would have had nowhere to stay. They pay him $34 and they, he could crash there even with the dog. They even get room service. 
and his tour of that supply closet is just epic. Like, I mean, him talking about the bigger the jug means it's for a bigger dog. I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever, but it is awesome. <laughs> yeah, he does kind of save the day there. I was thinking him too. Well, yeah, the kitchen is literally next door, right? That's the good it's news. right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a conspiracy. Jack is your MVP. Uh, well, I had a qu- question about that. So they win the, the Mayflower Dog Show. Do they go back and stay in the Janders closet that night, or did they get a complimentary room? Ooh. They could have slept I mean, in I the g- gym at that point. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I had a nice cot. They, didn't I they? Mean. Didn't they bring like an RV? Why couldn't they have just slept in there? Like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, my MVP of this movie is very clearly Jerry Fleck because, um, you know, I mean, he if, he's sort of the anti stick man. If, if you look at uh, his his life, although he says that he had lots of girlfriends, but uh, he he found a great woman in Cookie and um, a woman who honestly and truly loves him. I, I don't think there's any question that she, that she loves him and is loyal to him and does not cheat on him. Um, and uh, he lives a great life and they record, he, he's the captain in, in Cookie. And, uh, you know, he overcame his physical adversity and is the, is the, is the champion. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, he's, he lives a great life. So, kudos. All right. Good pick. Touching. Good pick. <laughs> uh, all right. This has been a lot of fun. Let's move on and wrap this up with quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. I'm going to go first. Uh, I'm going back to uh, to our conversation of I'm thinking of ending things. And uh, I'm not going to quote I'm thinking of ending things. But what I'm going to say is I feel like um, they quoted the wrong part of A Beautiful Mind. Like, they, they go on this whole thing and reenact an entire scene of A Beautiful Mind. But what I wanted to see instead was uh, when when Jesse Buckley was given the slippers by the custodian and she gives them back and says, no, they're yours. The custodian needed to walk away, throw them in the air and say, I have respect for beer. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and that's how that scene should have ended. That That's that's what I say. Because, you know, I, I have respect for beer. So, cheers. There we go. That's my quote. <laughs> well played, Terry. Todd, what do you, Todd, what do you got? Uh, so I'm going to quote uh, the late, great Mike Sexton, who uh, died yesterday of cancer. Uh, he is the host of World Poker Tour and one of the great poker players and a friend of Stu Unger. And uh, he he would always uh, kick off and end his World Poker Tour episodes with, May all your cards be live and your pots be monsters. And that is what I say to all of you listeners to our podcast. Well done. Well done. Yeah, that was sad to hear, for sure. Zach has no idea who we're talking about. But no, I does. do. I, I even texted Todd. I said, RIP Mike oh. Sexton. He's one of the few poker players I've, I've heard of. Along it's because he hosts the show. Along with Moneymaker. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, Zach, what's your quote? My quote comes from Best in Show. It comes from Harlan Pepper, played memorably by Christopher Guest. And I'm not going to say the whole quote, but I'm going to sort of take bits and pieces. Uh, it's when he says, um, you know, uh, she'd hear me in the other room and she'd just start yelling and I'd say, peanut, 
hazelnut, cashew nut, macadamia nut, pine nut, which is a nut, but it's also the name of a town, pistachio nut, red pistachio nut, natural, all natural, white pistachio nut. My favorite part is macadamia nut. That's the one that would throw her over the edge. <laughs> I had to look up red pistachio nut. I was like, is that a thing? <laughs> uh, see, all it needed was at the end of it, he'd just need to go, that, that, that's about it. And, uh, and it would have completed the whole, the whole circle. All right. That brings our podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening uh, to this awesome deep dive, geek dive of Best in Show. Uh, we'll be back at you next week uh, with another podcast, be uh, ranking some things and uh, doing a lot of fun craziness. Uh, until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.